Come out and see Sheila in August. Saturday the 3rd at 1 p.m. at 727 East San Isidro Boulevard in San Diego. Come for some spiritual warfare training and fellowship. If you're in California and you're interested in having your church or small group host a weekend warfare workshop with Sheila, send her an email at info at sheila.media to start the process. That's info at sheila.media. Her SWAT prayer group will also be hosting an amazing event at a date to be determined. Stay tuned for details and be sure to be following her Facebook page. Sheila will also be in Montrose, Colorado, September 27th through the 29th at the Western Colorado Church of Deliverance in conjunction with the West Coast Church of Deliverance. For more information, go to WCCD.com. In October, she'll be in Auburn, Alabama from the 4th to the 6th at the Skyfall 2019 Bible Conference Cosmology Prayer and Spiritual Warfare event in conjunction with Fire and Grace Church. For more information, go to skyfall2019.org. That's skyfall2019.org. Nationally syndicated media personality and author Sheila Zielinski, a.k.a. Weekend Vigilante. You're watching The Sheila Zielinski Show, the only program to bring you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God with a focus on spiritual warfare. And now, here's Sheila. Hi, everyone. I've invited Carolyn Minkowski back on the program to discuss a topic that we're hearing all over social media, all over the headlines. It is a fascinating subject that is gaining a lot of momentum over the last couple decades. And this is very shocking, the underbelly of this. And we're hearing phrases like dying with dignity. We're going to look at a very frightening side of euthanasia. This is going to be a fantastic discussion today and here to lay this teaching out and it is unbelievable some of this stuff. So I have on Carolyn Minkowski back on the program to lay this out. Carolyn, welcome to the program. I'm just going to hand you the mic and you take it away on this incredible topic of euthanasia. Okay, thank you, Sheila. It's good to be back on your show. And yeah, euthanasia is a big topic in the headlines today. And it's really not just in our country, but it's worldwide. I want to talk about this because although it is worldwide, our, we have eight states now that have passed laws for physician-assisted suicide. And can Canada, Colombia, and Switzerland also have physician-assisted suicide. Um, it's happening in the Netherlands, Belgium. So there's a lot of talk and there's a lot to understand. And I, I do want to expose it. Um, I want to take us into a look at the history of euthanasia because there's a lot of people that really don't know how that, you know, we came to be to this point where, um, you know, euthanasia is looked at as a person's right, you know, right to die. I want to talk about all the words that are used that, you know, they use uh, in propaganda to manipulate and control us so that that will be part of our belief system that it's okay. And I also want to talk about some scriptures and what Christians need to know so they don't get deceived. And then we can get some deliverance on this topic as well. 
First of all, there's physician-assisted suicide, and, and then there's what they call euthanasia. And there's a real, you know, it's a real kind of gray area, I would say, but in my mind, they, they're the same thing. Physician-assisted suicide, the definition is a physician prescribing a lethal dose to a patient so they can administer it themselves and commit suicide by their choice. The laws in our right now in our states dictate that a person has to have a terminal diagnosis. So this is one of the things, and there's other certain conditions that they need to, to they need to be found, you know, mentally competent and have two doctors agree. And then there's euthanasia, okay? And euthanasia was coined um, in Germany. It was actually a euphemism. It means good death in Greek. And instead of just saying, you know, we're going to kill you or after you reach a certain point or the mentally ill and the handicapped is actually who they euthanized. Um, so that's where they came up with that. And this was not a right to die program, but it was the state's right to kill its citizens. In other words, it was involuntary euthanasia. So in my mind, physician-assisted suicide, the physician is an accomplice to the murder. Basically, they are prescribing the lethal dose, and they are accountable just as much as the person that's committing the suicide. In euthanasia, the physician commits the murder by giving them a lethal dose. So a little bit different. And then, of course, yeah, there's people that are euthanized that don't give, that aren't, it isn't voluntary. And so that's really interesting. And we'll explain, we'll get into that. Uh, euthanasia has been pre-planned really for our society and our world, and I'll tell you when, but first I want to explain the strategy that's used by those in power to manipulate the public into fulfilling this predetermined agenda of euthanasia. And it's, it's very clever and it's something that they use with anything that they want people to go along with, any kind of program. And that is that they first they bring up a subject that's very offensive and nobody's talking about it. It's kind of taboo in public, but a respected, usually it's a doctor, a respected expert brings it up in a respected arena and people are shocked. The public is shocked, then they're outraged. But the very fact that they're bringing it up becomes now a subject of debate. And so as people begin to just talk about it, the sheer repetition of a shocking subject gradually dulls its effect on the people and they become sensitized. So when people are no longer shocked by the subject and they're no longer outraged, they begin to argue for positions to moderate the extreme. So instead of euthanasia, let's just start with, you know, physician assisted suicide or, you know, let's let's first let people have the right to not need to get medical treatment. So this is how this is how they do it. And if you go back to, you know, 1859, euthanasia happened before this. It's always been around. But in 1859, Charles Darwin, of course, you know, came out with survival of the fittest. And this is when fear came into people, fear of medical services to disabled people. They were afraid somehow this would undermine the struggle for existence, the natural struggle, and lead to the degeneration of the human race. Okay, that's what they believed because this is what they were sold. And these views took hold in America, Britain, and Germany. The existence for disabled people was increasingly seen in the UK and the USA as a threat to social progress. And people began listening to false science and taking hold of it rather than believing in God, the creator of all life. So that was that was the start of things going kind of downhill. And then in 1870, Samuel Williams began to publicly advocate using morphine and other drugs for euthanasia. They wanted to alleviate terminal pain, but they also said, hey, we can intentionally end a patient's life. This was actually 
shocking. Most physicians held that, you know, yes, they can, you know, give a pain medication, administer that, but not to hasten death. So this is where it began to be introduced. And then Francis Galton, the cousin of Darwin, coined the word eugenics, which meant well-born and from good stock. So you see these things are working together in, in unison. And in 1884, the euthanasia movement was a dream of the Fabian Society. Fabian Society was a, a think tank, a socialist think tank that was funded in the United States at the Rockefeller Carnegie funded research facility at Cold Harbor, New York. And this is where they began state sterilization of certain people, and it was actually legalized in several states. So this is where they wanted to get this, you know, going. And many people think eugenics originated with Hitler in Germany, but it was actually created in the United States, and it was cultivated in California. So the eugenics campaign gained momentum, and they began to, um, you know, legislate. The, the Carnegie Institution worked hard to to legislate um, eugenics. And from 1907 onward, many women and men and children who were insane, they were, they were insane, idiotic, imbecile, feeble-minded, or epileptic, that's what they, the labels they had, they were forcibly sterilized, often without being informed of what was being done to them. So, you know, this was, this started back in the early 1900s, and it's not a new thing, but, um, you know, the public, uh, you know, was was aware because because they were afraid and because of, you know, this sort of um, fear in society of disabled people, um, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal to them. But also um, this was, well, California was the third state to adopt the eugenic laws and 60,000 Americans were sterilized. Um, before World War II, half of the coercive sterilizations were done in California. So that state accounted for a third of those surgeries. So California was the epicenter of the American eugenics movement. And, um, you know, who, who funds this? Who funded it? Well, we talked about how someone respectable talks about a shocking subject and people listen. Well, it was the Carnegie Institution and the Rockefeller Foundation and the Harriman Railroad Fortune that funded it. And they were in league with the most respected scientists of Stanford, Yale, Harvard, and Princeton. So there you go. Shocking, but talked about by respectable institutions and people. And then in 1915, Dr. Hazelton was um, allowed, okay, so in 1915, uh, Dr. Hazelton allowed a deformed baby boy to die rather than giving him possible life-saving surgery. The baby was blue and badly deformed, and he talked the family into this. He predicted that without surgery, the child would die shortly, and he just advised the family against surgery and let the baby die. Now, today, we would just have had uh, what they would fa have found out through an ultrasound and the baby would be aborted. OK, that's what goes on today. And so it's not as shocking anymore. But at this time, it was very shocking because life was valued more deeply and nobody, everybody did everything they could to stay alive, um, what they could do. And so here, all of a sudden now, this is something new. This was the beginning. And Hazelden, he got more Americans than ever talking about euthanasia, but he also won endorsement from numerous prominent figures. See how the cultural climate begins to change, and when you have prominent people, um, then you have power behind that. 
Now, in 1917, there was a movie made about this, and it was called The Black Stork Film, and it was produced to cause controversy over infant euthanasia. And it dramatically expressed the anxieties people had about medicine and disability during this period. Disability was equated with disease, and doctors claimed absolute authority, okay? So um, there were prominent thinkers like Clarence Darrow, Helen Keller. Um, Helen Keller was a theosophist and a pagan. However, they were well known, and so they argued that physicians had the right and duty to decide whether a life was worth living. That was the first time it was argued in public. Again, it was taboo. People didn't talk about it. So now people are starting to talk about it. Folks, stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Folks, we are getting hit with so much in this environment. We're getting hit with GMOs, chemtrails, electromagnetic frequencies. We're getting hit with 5G cell towers. We are getting bathed in a toxic soup. Considering what we're up against, you cannot put a price tag on your health. I have teamed up with Dr. Ted Bro from healthmasters.com to put together the best protocol period. This is the protocol that I take. I said to Ted, what is a protocol, Ted, that we can put together that my listeners have to be on? These are the highest quality products, period. You can't even get this high quality at a health food store. And the best part is you're going to get a discount by using Sheath 5 at checkout. Folks, don't take chances on your health. Use what I use, the Sheila Protocol from healthmasters.com. Start today. The head of the U.S. Military Central Command said a grid shutdown situation. It's not a question of if, but when. Folks, I'm going to talk to you today about EMP Shield. EMP Shield is the world's first whole home and vehicle EMP protection service tested at the nation's most renowned military certified testing centers. The EMP Shield surpassed all military EMP testing standards. This is an amazing product. EMP Shield has models for home, vehicle, generator, solar system, radio, RV, and even a portable travel and camping model. EMP Shield is scalable to any size you need, and installation is a breeze. There's no product on the market like it, which is why we put our name behind it. We believe in providing you with the best solutions, and EMP Shield is the best solution. Use the link below and use code Sheila to save $50 off each product. Why should you get EMP Shield today? Because it protects, period. Hi everyone, this is Sheila Zielinski. How would you like to advertise your product or service with us? We have a very robust audience as well as a large social media reach. And we should be supporting Christian businesses. If you're interested in advertising your product or services with us, send us an email at info at Sheila.media. That's info at Sheila.media. And one of our sales staff will get in touch with you to see if your product or service is a good fit. All our advertising packages can be tailored to fit your budget. Consider advertising on The Sheila Zielinski Show. That's info at Sheila.media. Make the inquiry today and get your business noticed.
You're watching The Sheila Zielinski Show. Then we come to the 1930s when the Depression happens and public support for euthanasia begins to increase. Americans start talking again about suicide and controlled dying. 45% of people had caught up with Hazelden's belief that the mercy killing of infants born permanently deformed or mentally handicapped was permissible. And, you know, we really see this today where doctors will tell someone who's having an ultrasound, your baby's deformed or we don't think it's going to make it. And what do women do? They just go out and have an abortion because the doctors told them that. There were societies founded and legislation attempted to enact euthanasia back in the 1930s. And a, a National Society for the Legalization of Euthanasia was founded. These societies were important. They were created so that like minds could come together, they could have power, and they could, what, begin talking about it. Because the more you talk about something that's taboo, what happens? People become sensitized to it. And um, they, and of course, they're very, you know, they're funded um, very well to get the job done. So, but the eugenic breeders believed that American society was not ready to implement an organized lethal solution. But many mental institutions and doctors practiced improvised medical lethality and passive euthanasia on their own. And you know what? They still do today. That's right. Um, and so that was something that happened. It wasn't talked about, but it was practiced. And in the 1950s, the World Medical Association condemned euthanasia and the American Medical Association back then condemned it also. So it's important to know that. What's happening today, however, has changed. And um, the AMA does not condemn physician-assisted suicide. So, But back in the 1950s, they were condemning it. Now, in 1957, the Vatican proclaimed, and, it, and you know, people listen to the Pope. Whatever the Vatican says, you know, people, uh, many people are Roman Catholic. So you have a lot of people in society that were focused on, on you know, the Pope as, you know, the religious authority. So he said that passive euthanasia was acceptable. Now, passive euthanasia was, they they coined that term, saying that that was the deliberate decision to withhold life-saving measures, like a ventilator, knowing that death would result. And they wanted to take advantage of the change in public opinion um, after World War II. And so the Pope comes out and says, you know, um, uh, it's okay to, to have passive euthanasia. And, and that's, you know, just to be clear, passive euthanasia, they coined let me be clear and explain passive euthanasia because um, this is a coin, a term that they coined, and it was um, really on purpose so that it would link euthanasia in people's mind. But basically, passive euthanasia is when you know someone's death is brought about by not having life support, no DNR, no feeding tubes or surgery, or or like a ventilator, and uh, you know which uh, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but they wanted people, they wanted to kind of move it, uh, compromise. And remember, that's how they move things through. They get um, you know legislation passed. It's through compromise. So so the Pope was saying, hey, you know, passive euthanasia is okay, and of course the assisted suicide advocates love that because now they can get passive euthanasia legalized. You see. And, uh, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with making the choice to not have a respirator or CPR, but they take something good and they used it to be able to build the bridge towards, you know, euthanasia. All right. So then in 1962, the Euthanasia Society of America began a shift in the philosophy for the entire euthanasia movement. 
Instead of focusing on the individual's decision to have his or her life ended if terminally ill or in unbearable pain, they begin to convince the public that letting someone die, it's exactly what we just talked about. Instead of exhort, uh, resorting to extreme measures, um, but, you know, just with all the medical advances and keeping people alive, they thought, you know, people need to realize that they don't have to use extreme measures. But notice they like to use the word euthanasia and keep it in there. So that's what happened. Then in 1967, the first living will was written. And what they what this did was to give autonomy to people about what they wanted to happen at the end of their life. So this begins really ushering in patients' rights. Um, in 1968, Harvard Medical School Committee defined irreversible coma criteria for death. They decided if somebody somebody's in an irreversible coma, that they can go ahead and pull the plug on those people because of the great you know, burden to families and institutions and the, for the good of everyone, which is always emphasized. Now, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but how many people know of someone who woke up from a coma after six months, you know, or a year or more? And we hear about those families and those cases in the news. You know, they're pretty happy about it and they didn't want us to give up. So, um, but they decided, you know, let's start somewhere and let's start with a coma patients. So it's really interesting, the whole thing with patients' rights, because even though that's a good thing, people should have rights to whether they want medical care or not. They use that to usher in euthanasia. And we'll kind of see how that how that happened. In 1969, the Hastings Center was founded by Daniel Callahan to study ethical problems in medicine and biology. So they developed bioethics as a discipline. See, now it's complicated. We need a committee to tell us what's right in regards to death and dying and reproductive biology and all of these different issues. And by the way, the foundation of ethical committees is not built on biblical standards. Moral relativism is really the foundation. I think they wanted to try to make this ethical and where people were having difficulties um, with making these decisions. In 1972, and it was really their fault because, you know, they, they created the medical, the whole medical field in advancing the ability to keep people alive. And I don't know how that happened. I haven't really researched that, but I think it's interesting because it really created a situation where people couldn't just die naturally. You used to be able to just live and then you died and there was no in between. And so this is the first time really where there are all these ethical issues with what do I do now? You know, I'm on a ventilator, but this person is is basically um, brain dead or or in a in a vegetative state. So now there's a lot of lot of issues going on. In 1972, the US Senate holds the first national hearing on euthanasia with a special commission on aging, and guess what it's called? Death with dignity. There you go. That's where the term came from. And that term, death with dignity, has been stamped on every American mind, to be sure. Overall, the hearing showed that Americans were becoming increasingly unhappy about, you know, the irony of medical miracles, which extended the dying process only to diminish patient dignity and the quality of life. Again, two code words, patient dignity and quality of life. The powers that be wanted these words to take root, death with dignity, so that we would see what that is, so we would understand, you know, that dignity goes along with death. And then in 1974, the Society for the Right to Die 
was used, and it used to be the Euthanasia Society of America, which is interesting because they keep re-energizing these campaigns. They change the titles uh, when they no longer really are effective. And so the Euthanasia Society became the Right to Die Society. And these words um, were also were also really code words because people were, you know, they were given patient rights and now there's this right, I have a right to die. You know, and um, of course, it did have to do with with um, voluntarily deciding that, you know, they didn't want to have medical care or medical treatments. Nevertheless, um, people began to really um, take hold of that. Now, an interesting thing happened in 1974 also, and that was that the first U.S. hospice opened in New Haven, Connecticut. You know, hospice is a great thing, and I, I actually work with hospice. So hospice, I believe, was a good thing, but it was also used in uh, promoting, you know, euthanasia. And, and the way that that happened was is people began to have rights to how they wanted to die. And, and so they said, you know, I don't want to be in a hospital. I want to go home and die naturally and have my pain controlled. And so if people are given pain medications and they have their symptoms controlled at the end of the life, why do they want physician-assisted suicide? Okay, that's my question is, you know, why do they need that if if hospice does exist, but there's a massive mind control exerted on the American public, you know, through code words and pressure to conform. And now hospice isn't enough for some people who want to control the way they die because they've been given the rights or the entitlement to it. You know, hospice isn't bad, but, you know, Satan has to give something good so he can get something back. And that's part of this plan and, and overall, you know, achievement of euthanasia that's, that was planned from the beginning. The key is that, you know, you give people, if people are given rights, then they become entitled and that's what they wanted to achieve, you know, that people have the right to decide when they're going to live, you know, when they're going to die. Okay, so 1976, the Supreme Court ruled in the Karen Quinlan case that the respirator could be removed from a coma patient. And we kind of talked about that. And now all of a sudden, the term became known as pulling the plug. And again, this drew international attention and not everybody agreed with this. But again, people are shocked because this is the first time it's happening. Then it began, people began to talk about this. Folks, stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Hey everyone, it's Sheila Zielinski. Folks, did I tell you I'm boycotting Starbucks? Listen, I have been on the hunt since I did that expose for a 100% Christian-owned coffee company. And I'm excited to tell you that I not only found one, but I bought their coffee. And you know what? The only reason I agreed to promote it is because I love it. It's the best coffee that I've ever had. And that's not a line. You know how most people just say that? Well, I actually drink this coffee. I've given it to friends and family and even my staff. And you know what they all say? How do I get more of this coffee? And guess what? For Sheila's listeners, you take 10% off your purchases. You can't get any better than that. And here's the kicker. When you buy bestdayevercoffee.com, you support other like-minded Christian businesses. Hey, shouldn't we be supporting our brothers and sisters in Christ? And why buy from big box stores? Their coffee is stale. Listen, you wouldn't eat stale popcorn. Why drink stale coffee? And check out the flavors. And now they have a sample pack where you can try a whole bunch of different kinds and discover your favorite. Listen, go to bestdayevercoffee.com now and use code Sheila at checkout. There's no better way to start your day than with a delicious cup of best day ever coffee. Drink fresh. Drink bestdayevercoffee.com. You're watching The Sheila Zielinski Show. 
Karen was what you call in a persistent vegetative state. She was not brain dead. Her brain kept her breathing uh, going. And actually, she lived for another nine years. After they took her off the respirator, she kept breathing um, before she died. But whoever came up with this word vegetative state, I mean, it's not a neutral term, you know, who wants to be a vegetable? And that was really coined, again, another code word, because it had a major effect on public opinion. People recoil at the idea of being doomed to life as a vegetable, not as a human. So people who used to say, I want to stay alive by any means possible, changed to, I would never want to live as a vegetable. All right. This people is what brought about the belief system that so many people have today and believe that they should have the right to die. But dying was never a right before. Again, it was because there's this in-between thing that happened because of the medical advances. So that was um, pulling the plug. And then in 1976, first aid and dying statute was signed into law in California. And that was, you know, basically the first state granted that terminally ill people had the right to withdraw life-sustaining medical treatment when death was believed to be imminent. And I just want to comment on this now because now you have a nation that is forced into a process and a nation is forced into what, you know, I think what happened was the Bible calls it a seared conscience, ethical decision to pull the plug once someone is on a ventilator. Well, it's a lot easier not to get there in the first place, but now people can get off the life support systems and I think it creates a real mental and emotional stress to have to make that decision for someone, the power to stop a feeding tube or to turn off someone's ventilator. These aren't simple things. And I I believe this was created to really just numb people, to numb people to get to that point where they could feel okay about hastening death. And let me make it clear that it's not wrong, some of these decisions to do, but it was the beginning of having the right to decide the power of life and death in families. And um, so I, you know, I bring no judgment against anyone who had to make these choices or, you know, is making them, but only to show what was done to us as a society in trying to bring about euthanasia. In 1980, the Hemlock Society formed and officially supported active euthanasia and assisted suicide. You know, they had the slogan, good life, good death, and with a picture of the poisonous hemlock plant. And that was kind of a new concept. I mean, even though it was old, good death the way I want it. And all of a sudden people thought about that, what's a good death and what isn't. The Hemlock Society, however, changed names as they all do when a bad reputation is given to it. And now it's called Compassion and Choices. They have the corner on the market for physician-assisted suicide now, in fact. And um, all citizens should really be concerned regarding the controlling influence of this organization because they've also basically have code words, which are compassion and choices. Compassion means suffering with somebody, not killing them. They've turned compassion into a meaning for suicide now through that organization. In 1988, JAMA publishes an article by a hospital worker who euthanized a patient, and and they called it, it's over, Debbie. It was a GYN resident in a large private hospital had injected a patient suffering from painful ovarian cancer with an overdose of morphine. Again, do you see the shock? The article stirs controversy, debate, and they condemn the resident for what he had done. And in the end, I don't know what happened to that resident, but, you know, people were shocked over that. However, um, they've actually done a a survey with doctors to find out that about somewhere between three to six percent of doctors admit that they have actually euthanized people. They've given them, you know, overdose of morphine or they've sent the patient home with a little extra narcotic and uh, wink, wink. And so that's not really something that is new, but... um, 
it began to you know surface more and more i think in the public in 1990s public opinion surveys showed that more than half of americans supported physician assisted suicide and you see you know 2 years after the shock of somebody actually doing it people begin to accept it and something else happened in 1990 Jack Kevorkian arrived on the scene. And actually, he started way back in the 1950s as a pathologist. Uh, he liked to photograph people as they were dying, okay, specifically the eyes. He had a preoccupation with death, and he even praised the Nazi doctors for trying to get some good out of concentration camp deaths by conducting medical experiments. Uh-huh. In 1986, he began to help patients commit suicide. A lot of people back then thought he was nuts because it was shocking. But slowly, many people began to cheer him on. And in 1994, of course, Oregon passed death, the first Death with Dignity Act. And um, just to say a little bit more about Jack Kevorkian, um, he actually... On national TV, on 60, the 60 Minutes show, they uh, did a video on him assisting a suicide. And it's really interesting because 60 Minutes is sort of a respectable show. Everybody watches that. They like it. They did a videotape of him administering a lethal injection to Thomas Yoke, a man suffering from Lou Gehrig's disease, otherwise known as ALS. So, of course, they pick a really horrible situation and show, you know, how he's going to relieve his suffering. By the way, we have people with ALS all the time in hospice and and we can control their symptoms. And, the, you know, yeah, there's a lot of things that are that are really painful, different diseases, but they, they can be controlled and we do it all the time. Now, in 1999, uh, 1999 Kevorkian was convicted of murdering Thomas Yoke because apparently it wasn't legal in Michigan, <laughs> but yet they filmed it on TV. So the real kind of um, irony there and really absurdity and you wonder you know is somebody behind that and controlling that now he he was supposedly to get 10 to 25 years but he actually only served eight years and in 2011 he died and they made a movie about him with al pacino to glorify him so he could be immortalized by many people the martyr that finally went to prison after killing 130 people so he said but, you know, if you research Kevorkian, he was a real psychopath, and there's so much stuff. I mean, he was a really ghoulish artist. He painted horrors of death, violence, and cannibalism. He advocated medical experimentation on death row inmates, and he suggested that anyone sentenced to more than three years in prison should be given the option of assisted suicide. Well, you know, think of how many people in prison come to Christ, especially after three years. So um, and he was he was all about death, and um, really he moved the euthanasia movement along in our country. He was shocking, but guess what? People talked about him, didn't they? And then in 2001, the Netherlands legalized euthanasia, and physicians can can murder you if you're terminally ill. Um, some doc Dutch doctors have administered lethal drugs with, without the patient's consent. And citizens of the Netherlands have taken to carrying little cards that say, do not euthanize in case they are rendered unconscious or comatose. That's really something. I mean, it's just sick. Um, we have do not do CPR, but, you know, do not euthanize. Don't kill me. Um, perfectly healthy patients have requested aid in dying just simply because they're depressed. And so and so that's beginning to happen, too. Now, I read an article and it was called Doctor's Secret Language for Assisted Suicide. And like I told you, um, this was the article where it said over 3% of doctors have written a prescription for life-ending medication, according to this anonymous survey in the New England Journal of Medicine. And this was back in 1998, so I can imagine it maybe even more now. 
but 5% of the doctors reported giving patients a lethal injection. And so, um, so this has been going on, but, you know, to get people you know, even more on board with this and make be, make it become just regular and, and where people's consciences are really numb and it, it's not shocking anymore. So is physician-assisted suicide or killing an acceptable solution to human suffering? What do the scriptures say? The scriptures are pretty plain. I mean, Deuteronomy 5.17 says, thou shalt not kill, period, plain and simple. Proverbs 6.25 says, there's a way that seems right to man, but the end and thereof are the ways of death. Deuteronomy 12.8 says, You shall not do after all the things that we do here this day, every man whatsoever is right in his own eyes. Well, that goes along with euthanasia, and people want to control their own death. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient towards all men. This is ironic because they used to call the developmentally delayed people feeble-minded. And here the scriptures say, comfort the feeble-minded. Don't kill them or sterilize them. Romans 5.3 also adds, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Well, tribulation, anguish, distress, pain. Paul, Paul is saying here, these things should not move us to death. And then in Job 14, 1 through 5, man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. He comes forth like a flower and is cut down. He flees also as a shadow and continues not. And then in verse 5, it says, Seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. Job wanted to die, but he, he didn't commit suicide. He looked to God and said, All the appointed time will I wait until my change comes. Folks, stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Green New Deal appears to be the number one headline in the news, and it is not going anywhere. But is this New Deal really new? This green agenda is not about saving the planet as its creators are quick to espouse. It is instead the re-implementation of an ancient pagan imperial doctrine that seeks to destroy the world's nation-states, implement global governance, and drastically reduce the world's population. The new religion of Gaia is in fact a revival of paganism that rejects Christianity altogether and considers its followers to be its biggest enemy. Gaia is a cunning mixture of science, paganism, eastern mysticism, and feminism and has made this pagan cult the fastest growing religion on the planet. It views the Christian faith as the only obstacle preventing the formation of a global religion centered on uniting all forms of life around the goddess of Mother Earth. In her critically acclaimed book, Green Gospel, author, researcher, and broadcaster Sheila Zielinski demolishes what you think you know about the Green New Deal. She exposes how the claim that the human-induced global warming and the Green Agenda were diabolical plans deliberately hatched decades ago by the UN and are the greatest frauds of our time. Green Gospel unpacks the greatest deception of our era and takes you through the astonishing who, what, when, where, and why of the Green New Deal and explains what it's really all about. Get your copy of Green Gospel today.
watching The Sheila Zielinski Show. And so he knew that God had appointed bounds to life and death, and that the number of days, the number of months that we live, that was all in God's hands. Did he have pain? Oh, yeah, physical and emotional. Um, Did he have painkillers? I don't know. Doesn't say. (laughs) Now we have medications that control pain, but people still want euthanasia. Hebrews 2.14, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Some people are afraid of dying. They're afraid of death and they don't want to go through it. They just want to end it quickly. And, you know, I've seen in my experience, the people who want physician-assisted suicide is not usually the Christian. It's usually the unbelieving because um, they're afraid of death. And as a Christian, we shouldn't be afraid of death. If you are, that's something you can get deliverance on. And that's something that we'll call out at the end of this message. But if your faith is weak, you know, you want the easy way out, the one that is not going to cause suffering. 2 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 9, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Well, that doesn't sound like someone who wants to exit stage left and get out of suffering, leave this world before their appointed time. Physicians that prescribe a lethal dose or give a lethal dose to patients in some countries where this is legal are an accomplice to murder. They're just murdering. Um, Just because it's legal doesn't make it right. People go along with things because it's now the law was passed and it's legal. The lethal doses didn't always used to work, and some people actually suffered as they experimented with these drugs. But now they've refined the cocktail of drugs, so it's it's pretty effective. Well, I want to tell you a story um, about a patient that I had as a hospice nurse that, unbeknownst to me, had gone through the procedure to have assisted suicide, physician-assisted suicide, and was waiting to procure the drugs. And I realized I needed to think about how I felt about being her nurse if she went through with it. And let me just say that hospice does not suggest or participate in physician-assisted suicide at least my company, but I believe that many of the hospice companies as these laws were passed um, would not participate in this. They would support the patient and family if they, after they went and got the lethal dose and they took it. But I prayed and asked God to show me what he wanted me to do. Um, even though I wouldn't be there if she took the lethal dose, I was concerned that if I didn't, um, if it didn't work, you know, or if I came and she was still dying, would I want to be a part of that or participate in watching this suicide? And I thought about, you know, wouldn't I stop someone who was going to jump off a bridge to their doom? Would I be participating in this in some way? And so I just prayed and, and, you know, I know that, Hey, I could have, you know, been there if God wanted me to, if he wanted me to be there to have a positive effect on the situation. I wasn't giving the lethal dose or agreeing with it, but I just really thought about this. And um, I went to my managers even and and let them know I didn't want to participate in this if she was going to go through with it. And they acknowledged it and they supported me. Well, let me tell you what happened. Um, She had cancer. She had a pathological fracture to her hip with the cancer going to the bone. And the fracture happened because of the cancer and she had pain and it was intensely painful. So right away, I was working to control her pain. Because um, if I can get the, you know, her pain controlled, then she maybe would not feel that she needed to have the 
um, physician-assisted suicide. And there was a lot of division in her family. Members were fighting, and there was a sense that something was not right. And I, I didn't know why at first until I found out that she had contacted a doctor to get the PAS. And they were waiting to hear from him to see if it was going to happen. So it really wasn't until I started talking with the family and getting to know them and then found out about this um, this decision she had made prior to actually becoming sick. Because you have to have, you know, a mental, you have to have mental faculties, um, at least in, in our country, to make this decision before a physician will agree to it. And not all of her family members were in agreement. And so that's why there was tension and apprehension. So finally, um, on the next visit that I went out, it turned out that no pharmacy would partner and fill the prescription. And there was no pharmacy in our area. No pharmacist would participate in dispensing the lethal dose. Well, Lord, bless all the pharmacists and all the doctors and all the nurses and all the people that stand and will not participate in physician-assisted suicide or euthanasia. And I I pray that they would hold fast to their their principles because sometime or someday their rights may be taken away. But um, at this point, people have the right to, you know, refuse to participate. Getting back to the story, though, my patient was not able to carry out her wish to commit suicide. And when I went to the next visit, the level of dissent, the feeling of darkness and apprehension was gone. Members of her family were smiling and talking, and they were working together. They were taking turns staying with her in the room. Her level of anxiety was less, and her pain was more controlled, something that I really wanted to do quickly for her so she you know, would be comfortable and I was praying for this, and I was praying for God to work in the whole situation with her family so that she really would have, um, you know, a good closure with them and and a peaceful death, which can happen without physician-assisted suicide. So I went into her room, and I said, you know, I know you must be disappointed that this didn't go the way you wanted it to. And the Holy Spirit led me to bless her, and I I did that, and she had family sitting next to her. And I think she was kind of surprised, like, why are you doing that for me? And I was able to explain to her that she had a family that loved her and cared for her. And even though she was, things didn't turn out the way she wanted, I said to her, I hope you can see the good that will come out of the situation. And you know what? She said, yes, I agree. I agree. And it was a moment where just the spirit of God moved, touched her and her friend in the room. And I felt there was just joy of how this was taking place with all the talk of suicide. Now there was this peace and, you know, people were more, much more relaxed and her pain was controlled and she was happy about that. Wasn't that the point? She wasn't suffering. You know, she wasn't suffering at all. There was a real relaxation in her spirit. She died peacefully two days later with her family. And I found out through this process that there was some history in her family that told the story of her desire for physician-assisted suicide. Her father had decided to commit suicide um, when he had realized that he had a terminal diagnosis. He told the family when he was going to do it. And one day they found him dead. And this was her family's legacy, and she probably thought that she had to do the same thing. You know, you learn through your family's belief systems and what they do. So anyway, that's one story that I just wanted to share. Um, The two ideological pillars of euthanasia are, first, radical individualism. This is what all the patient's rights have been used to teach people, that there's nothing wrong, and there's nothing wrong with deciding on your medical care, but it's been taken to an extreme. I can do whatever I want. I can decide when I'm going to die. 
Killing is an acceptable answer to suffering is the second pillar of euthanasia. Some doctors in Belgium strongly believe there's no place for suffering anymore, and it's become a belief system without any feelings attached to it, so that they truly believe they're not doing anything wrong. And it, it just shows how a belief system can be so strong that even killing someone could be okay, because their belief is that suffering is a worse thing. Now, at least that's what people are being programmed to believe. And there may be people, you know, maybe they're witches, maybe they're Satanists, maybe they just want to murder people. And there are people like that. There are people like that in the abortion industry. Either way, this is the opposite belief system of a Christian. Now, I want to talk about a little bit about these code words because we talked about them, but we need to get rid of the brainwashing um, of these words and take them back. There's actually an American Association of Suicidology, and they're even correcting the public. And so euthanasia, the proponents of it, they don't like the word suicide. No suicide. They say that that does not explain physician-assisted suicide, which is actually what they call it right now in, in my state. But they say that it doesn't explain it's a process intended to hasten the end of life. Okay, they think that's a nicer way of saying it. You know, physician-assisted suicide is arguably a misnomer that just unfairly colors the issue. And they say it evokes feelings of repugnance and immorality. And I say, well, it should, shouldn't it? <laughs> but suicide, these groups say, is linked to the idea of, well, just some young teenager jumping off a bridge. Okay, so you want a peaceful death without unbearable suffering. We're not just deciding that we don't want to live anymore because we can't cope. Well, isn't that what they're doing? <laughs> Isn't that what it's all about? They don't want to live any longer because they don't want to suffer. Isn't taking an overdose of drugs the same thing in either situation? No, it needs to be more dignified, you know. Well, this is situational ethics. Um, just because a doctor gives you a lethal dose and just because you have a terminal diagnosis doesn't mean it's anything different. But you have these societies, as well as the American Medical Association and state organizations that opt for this neutral language because we want to all feel a little bit better about murder and killing, right? Folks, stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Never before in history have we seen such an urgent need for spiritual warfare. Are you desiring a powerful and successful prayer life with other like-minded prayer warriors? That's what we have put together in SWAT Prayer. SWAT Prayer allows you to join like-minded prayer warriors across the West and worldwide. So you simply go to SWATprayer.com. You type in either your city or your state, you hit enter, you see this SWAT prayer icon that comes up on the screen, you click on that icon, that is your state leader. Simply connect with them and they will put you in touch with prayer groups in your state. God is raising up a powerful body of spiritual warriors ready for battle. Spiritual warfare attack teams that are storming the gates. We are fighting a spiritual battle and as Christians we can make all the difference in warfare prayer. As Christians we are given the power and authority. It's our responsibility to use the tactical weapons that God provided to storm the gates. Never before in history has warfare prayer been so urgently needed. As Christians, we can make a difference. Go to SWATprayer.com today. 
You're watching The Sheila Zielinski Show. Well, let me share with you another story. This one's about Jeanette Hall. And this was published in the news about a woman who was 55 years old. And she lived in Oregon. And that was in 1994 when um, the death with dignity was legal. She was diagnosed with inoperable colon cancer. And she was given the choice of chemo and radiation or take a lethal dose of a barbiturate and end your life. Her doctor tried to talk her out of it, and he didn't, he wasn't fond of, of physician-assisted suicide, so he really wanted to talk her out of it, but she wouldn't budge until he asked her, you know, about her son and asked if she had any children, and he found out that she had a son who was in training as a state trooper, and she hadn't told him she had cancer, and the doctor said, don't you want to see him live and graduate and get married? And that kind of hit her, and that's when she decided, decided not to go through with it. Well, 15 late years later, she was cured of cancer, and she celebrated her 70th birthday with her son. And I wanted to tell that story just because we don't know what's around the corner. Just because you get a diagnosis doesn't always mean that you, you can't survive the prognosis. There's cures, treatments that work, and they aren't necessarily conventional, but they're out there. Another code word is dignicide. You know, it's a new term for dignity with suicide. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's a joke that they're trying to, you know, put dignity with suicide. You know, dignity is a word that implies respect, treating someone with esteem or respect, not killing them. The AMA says that physician-assisted suicide is for the purpose of controlling time and manner of death in cases where the patient finds the dying process intolerable. Now, see, the AMA, of course, you know, makes it sound very nice, and they've come full circle since the 1885 um, into going ahead and supporting physician-assisted suicide, of course, since there are physicians that will do this. There are a lot of physicians that won't do it, but that's becoming interesting as pressure mounts uh, for this is an acceptable way to die. But I want to ask you, since they say that, you know, patients find the dying process intolerable, what is intolerable for you? A patient I had who wanted physician-assisted suicide, but he couldn't because he waited too long and he didn't have the mental capacity that was required to you know, to go through with it, he found it intolerable to die this way. And he didn't even have pain. He had very little physical pain at all, but he found it intolerable. Now I ask you, is death being portrayed as intolerable? You know, we just can't tolerate waiting. Our fear of pain is intolerable. Even the fear of it. Um, I'm all for no pain at the end of life, but um, isn't that what hospice is about? We we can do that um, without having to kill someone. But there's a notion that pain or suffering should not be tolerated in our society. And this has been programmed into many people's belief system. Ecclesiastes 10.6 says, folly is set in great dignity and the rich sit in low place. Okay. In other words, they're saying that things that are, that are foolish are set in great dignity and they exalt euthanasia and set it in dignity, but it is folly. It's foolish and absurd to think that killing someone is dignified. They are confusing lack of suf suffering with dignity, okay? And whether you suffer or have pain has nothing to do with your dignity. There's no dignity in death. It's suicide, okay? That's a lie. Why is it undignified to suffer at the end of your life? People suffer for many reasons, and some people have mental and emotional pain. But, you know, I say, what do we do when someone wants to commit suicide? We set them up with with people that um, can counsel them. We set them up with someone to support them. And actually, that is the compassionate thing to do, to help them see another point of view, because we, we haven't tolerated suicide in our society. But now, all of a sudden, we are tolerating it, and we are saying it's okay. 
Well, a Christian has the power over their mental capacity to trust God and to surrender to him. They have emotional peace and God can alleviate pain. The way in which we die has just as much meaning in, as how we live. Look at the martyrs. The last few minutes of life were important. And maybe even possibly the most important moment could be your dying. Uh, wasn't Paul dignified in his death for Christ? Should he have ended it early knowing that he was going to die? No, that's when he wrote much of the New Testament. That was the last two years of his life. Also, the other thing is, is when people choose to believe one lie, God gives them over to delusions. And that's what's happened in our society today. Another code word is quality of life. Okay, they've now quality is good. And they always pair these words because you have a positive feeling about quality of life. And then they, you know, link it up with euthanasia, saying that, well, somebody just doesn't have quality of life anymore. Who's to measure that? Who's to decide when somebody doesn't have any? Uh, I took care of a 91-year-old woman who could barely move at 80 pounds and sat in a recliner every day. She was a violinist and she played in an orchestra. And whenever I would visit her, we would play my violin music off my phone and she would smile. Her son would come to feed her at lunch almost every day. And when you looked into her eyes, she would smile, a huge smile, a beautiful smile, and she repeated a few words that took her a long time to say. Did she have quality of life? Well, her sons thought she did. She was still alive. Quality of life, you know, has its uses, but why is there a prerequisite for dying sooner? Because you don't have quality of life. Or who's to say whether you do or you don't? Euthanasia will make a case for this, and people will go right along with it. You see, in euthanasia, the physician is making the decision, and this is where we're going, where the physician will be able to make the decision whether or not somebody should live or die. Mercy killing is another oxymoron. Mercy and killing don't go together, unless you're talking about an animal. Advocates of euthanasia don't like this word. <laughs> Mercy is good, but the killing word's not helping them. <laughs> you know, really? I propose that euthanasia terminology has changed the definition of biblical words like compassion, mercy, dignity, now mean helping someone to kill themselves or making the choice to kill someone else. We know mercy is good and we know compassion is good. Well, then what they do is they pair it with death so that you will want it. And choice. Okay, there we get that word choice again. And where have we seen that? Well, the billion-dollar abortion industry used that word to help people choose to kill a person in the womb. Choice is always good unless it's a bad one. Choice is a code word for death. And choice means it's okay to make the choice to kill yourself. It's interesting that in Hawaii, they, their physician-assisted suicide legislation is called Our Care, Our Choice Act, right? And you'll find that in some of the, uh, the legislation terms. But they build a bridge with linguistics. They pair words together. Compassion is a feel-good word, so let's pair it with choices. And now let's introduce a bad thing, killing people or committing suicide. And because these words, they evoke a good feeling. That's why it's a code word. It, this is what neuro-linguistic programming is all about. It's to get you to, to get this into your consciousness, to get it into the back of your mind that these words go together and it's only compassion. Now you pair that with some of the movies they make, like, um, but the movie they made where the woman becomes a quadriplegic and, you know, they make it really sad. And so then, of course, somebody comes along and says, you know, the merciful thing to do is just in inject her with a, 
a lethal dose. It was Million Dollar Baby, that's right. <laughs> and even in California, they have End of Life Option Act, okay? Because it's either choice or option. We all like options. You have the option to die. In 1 Corinthians 6.20, the scripture says, you have been brought with a price and your life has been bought and your death has been bought. And if we are bought with a price, then do we have a right to say when our life ends? No, it's up to God. Even my hospice patients or families will ask, how long? You know, is it is it close? Can you tell me how long? And I'll say, well, it could be a few days or weeks, but you know what? The moment, only God knows that moment. But there's no mention of God, is there, in our society now in regards to these decisions to enact suicide or euthanasia. God is obliterated in life and in death. The sellers of death, they don't want anything to do with him. In Vermont, they added control, choice and control at the end of life act. Now it's not just choice, but it's control. You have control over your destiny with death. But let me ask you, when do you, when do people choose salvation? Well, sometimes when they're suffering, maybe they're not sleeping at night knowing they're going to die and God calls out to them. Those last three days or three months may be the most important spiritually in their whole life. So this is also something that people think, well, you know what? It might only be three months from now, but I'm just going to end it right now. Why? You don't know what can happen in, in those three months of your life. You know, you may see a family member that you haven't seen or something you may be able to affect somebody else or maybe God will do something in your life. We just don't know. But we, we take that we take that control into our own hands when we make that decision. We take the control away from God. Well, here in Colorado, it's called medical aid in dying. Okay. And, you know, I guess that's a more palatable, palatable term for some people, but it makes me think of a country giving aid to poor people in the third world. You know, aid, aid in dying, you know, financial aid we give to people to help them graduate from college. Aid used to be about giving life, you know, let me aid you, let me give you first aid, but now you need aid so you can die, okay? There we go. AIDS, another code word. <laughs> they are feel-good words to make you feel good about practicing euthanasia. Folks, stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Listen, there are just too many reasons to list why you need to become one of my patrons today. Not only do you get exclusive content, you get access to private Q&As with Sheila and friends, commercial-free content, and so much more when you become a patron member. But you know what a better reason to become a member of patron is? Because you're supporting this broadcast and its efforts to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you partner with me, you become a part of God advancing his kingdom and in the end time harvest of souls that right there is the best reason to get behind this ministry and become one of my patrons let me be your voice in this epic end time battle become a patron today you're watching the Sheila Zielinski show well, you know, in short, this is insanity. It's not grounded in pure and reasonable thinking. It's just insanity. I want to talk about something else called organ harvesting, organ donations that have joined with euthanasia. This is a rapidly expanding scenario in Canada and some Western European countries where a person dies 
by euthanasia, you know, they give them a lethal injection, and then the body is operated on to retrieve organs for donation. It's otherwise known as death by donation. They don't even want to wait now until the person dies. And, I, and you know, is this a conflict of interest? I mean, what, what is the physician, you know, helping the person with a transplant and with an organ? Or do they have a, a, a stake in this? Um, how is that working? So, um, but they, you know, the organs, when they're fresh, you know, they, they are better transplanted than when the person dies and then they take the organs. So they don't even want to wait until the person dies. They just wheel the person in alive. And under general anesthesia, they take the organ out and transplant it into another person. That's what's, you know, happening. And, and they're talking about that more and more. So doctors and nurses with moral objections could be forced to participate, even if they object to euthanasia. In Canada, a doctor who doesn't want to do it has to refer to someone who will. I mean, they have to. This makes someone with a moral objection complicit in acts in which they object to. I said, you know, we need to pray for these people in the medical profession who will have to stand up for what they believe. The time is really here when Christians will have to stand out more and more, I believe, in the coming days, and we'll, we'll really find out who's the true Christian. So let me ask you this. What do they call going to another country for physician-assisted suicide? They call it euthanasia tourism because your country doesn't do it. That's what they're calling in Europe. You go to Switzerland to die, oh, and have a vacation or party before you do it. Well, that'll bring in some revenue for the country, huh? Yeah, quite common. That's what's going on there. In the Netherlands, they have the Groningen, I don't know if I said that right, but they have the Groningen Protocol, which allows infants under the age of one to be euthanized. Okay, remember Dr. Hazelden and the baby? Well, it's not technically legal, but it's almost never punished. The protocol does not require that the babies have to be dying in order to be put to death, but have maybe serious disability, okay? So remember eugenics, it's, it's back, and that's what they, they do in the Netherlands. Some respected Dutch medical professionals have stated in recent months that they think that the practice of euthanasia is getting out of hand. Cases continue to appear in headlines revealing the relaxation of standards. There was a 29-year-old mentally ill Dutch woman who was put to death by physician-assisted suicide last January. Not somebody terminally ill, just mentally ill, okay? So now we're crossing this border where it's not people who are actually uh, going to die, which, you know, isn't right, but... I think it's more palatable. Again, they're they're using that to compromise to get to the point where anybody, okay, anybody can walk in and have euthanasia done. Or you will, I think we'll see this more and more too, where um, people will just be put to death, okay, that because it, doctors really hold that in their hands, um, especially in you know in certain situations. But um, but more and more we're seeing people who um, are suffering from depression and they want to have euthanasia. And so this is beginning to happen, not in our country yet, but I believe it's around the corner. In the Netherlands, about 800 to 900 patients who never asked to be euthanized are murdered by doctors. And the practice has a name. They call it termination without request and consent. Well, that's telling it like it is, very medical. They have no shame or conscience. This is where I just say these people have to be psychopaths. You know, this is happening. I mean, this is real, people. It's 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 come and it's coming to to our country as well. Belgium has the world's most liberal law on physician-assisted suicide, which is not for the terminally ill. Like I said, people with psychiatric conditions and even children can request it. I mean, children, they have to go through all these tests. But tell me, how does a child get put in that position? How is it that a child could even request this? Well, because they belong to the state and not their parents. Child euthanasia without 
parental consent is being pushed in Canada now. And you know what? How horrible would it be for a parent to find out after the fact? Because they're they're also talking about having it become something that they don't have to seek parental consent on. So these are the things that are happening. Doctors that participate in physician-assisted suicide and euthanasia have become killers, not healers. In the Netherlands, the Health and Justice Committee, which is kind of <laughs> absurd, that's what they call it, the Health and Justice Committee, issued a proposal called Completed Life, where a pill would be given to anyone over 70 who wants to end their life. Turn 70, life done. Welcome to Soylent Green. Okay, that's a 1970s movie to watch. And speaking of movies, you know, this is where we get the explicit message that um, euthanasia is a nice, compassionate thing to do. And I talked about the Million Dollar Baby movie. You know, it's better to be dead than disabled. And then there was another movie called Me Before You. And this was about um, loving someone enough to kill them. It was billed as a romantic story, but it was about loving someone so much that, you know what, they became quadriplegic and they really want to commit suicide. So if you love me, you'll let me do it. You know, I believe that this is the kind of message in order to get the family or the relatives along with the program because, you know, they might hinder it. So we've got to get everybody on board. Most people don't know what to think because they've stopped thinking for themselves. And the world rulers are telling you what to think. Physician-assisted suicide, euthanasia, it's being programmed to you and it's foisted upon us. When something is made legal, people become numb to the discerning of right and wrong. And then you add mind control through hypnosis and different code words and all of a sudden we have this false morality and insanity. You know, again, why not give people that really want to die before they should some suicide prevention or treatment to help them overcome the desire to die? But that's not what we're doing. We're helping them. And... Well, I can tell you from my own experience that many people, when they know you care about them and you're going to help them not to suffer at the end of life, they don't want to choose suicide. Proverbs 10.27 says, The fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. This tells me that those who choose suicide do not fear the Lord and that following God will prolong your days. And you know what? Those who don't trust in God or have any respect for him, they will have their years shortened. And maybe that will be through physician-assisted suicide. Psalm 94, 16 through 21 says, Who will rise up for me against the evil doers? Or who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul had almost dwelt in silence. When I said, My foot slips, thy mercy, O Lord, held me up. In the multitude of my thoughts within me, thy comforts delight my soul. Shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee, which frameth mischief by a law? But the Lord is my defense, and God is the rock of my refuge. And he shall bring upon them their own iniquity, and shall cut them off in their own wickedness. Yea, the Lord our God shall cut them off. So this is the end of of the wicked and, and those who, cho- who choose murder and who make these laws. Proverbs 24, my last scripture um, before concluding this message is Proverbs 24, 11, If you forbear to deliver them that are drawn to death and those that are ready to be slain, if you say, Behold, we knew it not, doth he not pondereth the heart, consider it, and he that keep thy soul, does he not know it, and shall not he render to every man according to his works? Yes, Christians, it's a time for us to stand up and to do what's right, and we're really this is in the forefront right now of what's happening and what we will have to be making decisions on and and dealing with. But I hope that this has helped you to understand and to understand some of the words and to be able to just have an intelligent conversation with people to understand the whole um, issue of euthanasia. Folks, stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. 
Do you want a more powerful and successful prayer life? Would you like to see results? God intended you to have victory. So then why does it seem like your prayers seem to go unanswered? Could it be that a key element of praying powerfully is being left out altogether? Discover the one thing the enemy does not want you to know that can make all the difference. This is a practical and easy to use powerful book where we lay out a powerful blueprint for real results. You can step into that powerful place of authority and begin to experience the outcome that you've been waiting for. No matter what is going on in your life, you have the power to change things through prayer. And do you know prayer is different than warfare? It is time to step out now in power and achieve results. Get your copy of Power Prayers today. It's warfare that works. Find it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and get it brought into your local Christian bookstore. It's warfare that works. You're watching The Sheila Zielinski Show. Well, I think that, you know, we can get some deliverance from these programs and, and these words, as well as some spirits of death, do you think? <laughs> we've been surrounded by this program and false beliefs, and we've been programmed with these things. So what I'd like to do now is, is just have a time of deliverance and, and call out some of these spirits. And so, Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for showing us the truth of euthanasia. Thank you for showing us how the world rulers have planned euthanasia. I've been planning it for a long time, and of course, Satan himself has uh, planned for us death, destruction. And so we just come to you and we come in Jesus' name and ask for um, healing of our minds, healing of wrong thoughts and wrong belief systems. And um, we just come against this massive plan for death in our culture and we separate ourselves from it. Assist us to get deliverance that we need to deprogram us so that we will not be deceived by it or take part in it. And I ask right now for just all the demons of death to come out of people in Jesus' name. Every spirit of death, all the programming of our minds for death, we command all the hypnotic suggestions, all the hypnotic words to come out in Jesus' name. Break us free from all the fake words meant to deceive us. I command all the program of our minds for death to come out in Jesus' name right now. And I loose angels to go and assist the people in the deliverance. Rout out all the demons that are hindering them from deliverance. I break off all alliances with death-making spirits and come out of agreement with the death makers. Anywhere we have aligned ourselves up with it or thought it was okay or made decisions, we now just come out of agreement with euthanasia in Jesus' name. And we ask for forgiveness for times when we agreed with it or participated in it. I command all the code words that confuse us and cause insanity to come out in Jesus' name. Come on, mercy killing, come out. There is no mercy in killing. Mercy is God's salvation. And God gave us mercy when he died on the cross for us. Mercy killing, come out in Jesus' name. The lie that letting someone kill me so I can have dignity, come out in Jesus' name. Death with dignity, get out in Jesus' name. The lie of that if I suffer, that's not dignity, come out in Jesus' name. Come on, spirits of suicide, come out now in Jesus' name. Dignicide, come out in Jesus' name. Suicide, wanting to die, don't I, fear of pain, not wanting to suffer pain, come out in Jesus' name. All the lies that have made you afraid to die, lies telling you that you're going to suffer, you're going to have pain, why don't you just end it all right now? Come out in Jesus' name. Lies telling you it's not dignified to suffer at the end of your life. Really, what if God has that for you? All those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. The spirit of death and suicide, come out. Come on, any um, the Knights of Malta that ran drugs for euthanasia in hospitals, come 
come out in Jesus' name. All suicide in your family line, spirits of death in your family line, get out now in Jesus' name. Fear of pain in the future, fear of the pain getting worse. All those giving up spirits come out in Jesus' name. Entitlement spirits, right to die. I have a right to die. I have a right to do it the way I want. Thinking we're entitled to a pain-free life, a life free of suffering, idolizing comfort, idolizing pain-free. I just want to be comfortable. Sometimes you will and sometimes you won't. Come on, radical individualism, come out in Jesus' name. In The independent spirit, come out. I'm going to make sure I die the way I want to. Come out now in Jesus' name. All the lies in the belief system that says at a certain age it's all over, you might as well just end it now. Get out. No, that's when God's finally going to use you, like Abraham or Moses. That's a time in your life where you have a lot to give and God will will do things that you don't even know what he has planned. Come on, fear of standing up for the truth, just going along with the program. I will just go along with it. Fear of displeasing others, fear of disapproval. Father, we just pray right now for every doctor, every nurse, every pharmacist that knows that euthanasia is wrong. We we loose angels to go and protect them. We ask, Father, that you would help them stand for truth and you will help them stand against euthanasia and being a part of it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Fear of death, the bondage of fear all their lives. Come out in Jesus' name right now. Come on. Fear of dying, fear of death, wanting to be in control, wanting to do it my way. Every spirit of rebellion, feeling useless. Come on, all the limitations. Come on, it's so useless. Come out now in Jesus' name. Fear of being a burden to other people. I need to die so I will not be a burden to others. No, this is when we need to go to God and depend on Him and ask Him for what we need. I lose healing to the brain where all the lies and programming and hypnosis has lodged, and I lose healing in Jesus' name. Command every all the neuro-linguistic programming to come out. Every code word that has made you feel like it's okay or there's nothing wrong with physician-assisted suicide, come out now in Jesus' Jesus name. I loose angels to go and remove the false belief systems that the world has taught us. I loose the truths in this message that would go into our belief system and become solidified in our thoughts and bring peace. I loose peace of mind in all trials, pain, and suffering. I command false compassion, false mercy, and false dignity to come out in Jesus' name. Seared conscience. Loose healing of our consciences. And for anybody who had to just pull the plug, you know, I had to pull the plug on my mother because she was in a coma. Any guilt and condemnation I command to come out now in Jesus' name difficult decisions because of medical advances that kept people alive. I just lose healing to the people um, in, in the situations. And I command every spirit of murder and violence to come out in Jesus' name. Spirits of destruction on the family that have caused early death or trauma come out in Jesus' name. Seared conscience, get out. Going along with the program, I don't feel like there's anything wrong with it. Come on, all that being numbed and sensitized, get out in Jesus' name. Everything that's arrested in our conscience where we don't have a full conscience to know what's right or wrong. All death spirits wanting to die prematurely. I hope I die when I'm 70. I really don't want to live past this age or that age. Come on, get out in Jesus' name. What's the point of living without quality of life? Get out now in Jesus' name. All all those code words, quality of life, entitlement, to have the best life, to die the way I want to. Get out in Jesus' name. God determines how your life will be today and tomorrow. All the way out, options, choices, move in Jesus' name. Get out. Come on, spirits of existentialism. Get out now in Jesus name. Come on, all those books you were forced to read in high school that made you question your meaning in the world. All of that. Come on, Kierkegaard, Nietzsche, Albert Camus, whatever it was, get out now in Jesus name. Communist spirits, religious existentialism. I break off of everybody the Hegelian dialectic deceptions that have been foisted upon them, especially with euthanasia. I lose healing to our minds and a correct understanding that uh, we're on the precipice of a cliff where death will be the rule and the state will control who lives and dies. Help us 
vows, O God, to stand firm unto the end, choosing life. Choose life that you and your descendants may live. I lose life. I lose acceptance of life and death, whatever it looks like. I pray we would all have the freedom to live fully in Christ, doing his will, and to die with true dignity, however that may come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What a very powerful teaching today and powerful prayer. Carolyn, thank you so much for your time and coming on the program today and laying this very important message out. Folks, up on your screen is Carolyn's information. Reach out to Carolyn and let her know. You heard her on the program, and she's also going to be out there with me in September, September 26th through the 28th at the Western Colorado Church of Deliverance. We're both going to be giving presentations there. It's going to be a very powerful time. The information is up on your screen. Carolyn, again, thank you so much for your time in coming on the program. Thanks, Sheila. You're welcome. Well, folks, we're out of time. Thank you so much for tuning into the program. Good night, and God bless. I want to ask you a question today. Are you saved? What do you have to do to be saved? The time is now. If you've not already given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, it's time that you do so. And you can do it right now at this very moment. Just agree with this following prayer. I'm going to ask you to believe this in faith and pray this with all your heart. And if you do so, you'll receive the free gift of salvation that Jesus bought for you. Jesus bought the penalty for sin. Pray this out loud right now. Dear God in heaven, I come to you today as a lost sinner. I'm asking you that you save my soul and cleanse me from all sin and unrighteousness. I realize in my heart my need for salvation, which can only come through Jesus Christ. I repent for my sins now, and I accept Jesus Christ into my heart, and I receive what he did on the cross at Calvary in order to purchase my redemption. In obedience to your word, God, I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. You said in your word, which cannot lie, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. That's Romans 10.13. And I've called upon your name exactly as you have said in your word, and I do believe that right now I am saved. Amen. If you've sincerely prayed those words above and believe in your heart upon the Lord Jesus Christ, then at this moment you are saved and your name is now written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And congratulations, because that was the most important decision you've ever made. Know that Jesus really does love you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16 Contact us today. We have a free book that we'd like to send you out if you have made that commitment today. Hey folks, listen, do you know how vitally important it is that you subscribe, like, and share these videos? Because when you take that simple action, you're helping to boost the show's algorithms. You know what they're doing out there on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. They use AI to monitor and distribute content. So when you do share, like, and subscribe, it helps the show appear in more people's news feeds. And that is important with all this Stasi censorship, isn't it? So by liking and sharing, you're 
actually taking part, spreading the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, equipping the saints. You're part of that. You become part of the harvesting of souls for God's eternal kingdom. So please, again, take a moment to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Like, share, and subscribe.